0: Y'all feeling all right this morning? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. You alive? Yeah. You excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Yes. Okay. The response to being excited to be in the house is (laughs) insufficient. Is anyone excited to be in the house this morning? Come on. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm excited to be in the house with you. Um, This is my first time preaching in Three weeks. Three weeks. Uh, And I'll explain why in a second, but I'm excited to be in the house, excited to dig in the word. If you have a Bible with you, we're gonna be in a few different spots, so you just earmark some places. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, we're gonna be in Philippians chapter 2, and then we're gonna come back to Matthew to Matthew chapter 25. So Matthew 20, Philippians 2, uh, and then Matthew 25. I'll track along with you. I'll tell you when we're going there. But if you want to earmark so you can keep up, that'll be great. Let me pray for us and we'll jump in to our message for today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, I pray that it's not missed on us that the reality that we woke up today is a gift from you. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul to live is Christ and to die is gain. But as followers of Jesus, we are in a win-win situation. If we die today, we spend eternity in heaven with you. But if we woke up this morning, that means you still have a plan and a purpose and a hope for our life. And so um, the reality that we're in this room today is not a mistake. You have every single one of us in here for a reason. And so I'm asking, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us more today. That as we open up your scripture, that you would speak to us, that you would change our hearts. Holy Spirit, if there's areas where we need to be encouraged, would you encourage us? Areas where we need to be convicted, would you convict us? Areas where we need to be changed and transformed, would you do that work in us? The reality is I can say words, but I can't change hearts. And so, Lord, would you do what only you could do? Would you breathe on this word? Would you breathe on this message that we might live different than the way we came in? We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So my name is Jerome Fatiomi. I do have the unique privilege of pastoring a church in Roswell, Georgia. We started about two years ago called Home Church. Um, and it is one of the greatest joys of my life getting to pastor that community and love on the families that God has entrusted us with. But I will tell you beyond pastoring the church, um, the greatest joy of my life, my greatest privilege, my first ministry, my first pastoring responsibility is my family. And I absolutely love my family. Um, I'm a dad, so I had to bring pictures of my family, so I brought some. Uh, this is right here my wife and uh, our four kids right there. Uh, so that's my wife Kylie. Um, on the bottom you'll see our identical twin girls, Wesley, Grace, and Zoe Faith. They are three years old. They are full-on 3 I love them. Um... The one that I'm holding, uh, I'm not allowed to say that I have a favorite because I don't have favorites, but I have favorites in seasons, and in this season, she's my favorite. Um, Her name is Trinity, and she is like a gift from God. She's the easiest kid, she's always smiling, she gives me a huge hug in the morning, I love her. Uh, And then our fourth child, she is legitimately four weeks old. Four weeks old, Um, she was born four weeks ago. Uh, yeah, I know, you're like, he clearly hasn't gotten any sleep, okay? Don't judge me. Um, but she's amazing. Her name's Lively, and I keep telling my wife we shouldn't have named her Lively because she's living up to her name. Um, and so I'm like, it's not too late. We can change it. Can we change it to, like, Serenity or something? Because that would that would be really helpful. Um, so that's my family. Uh, this is a picture of the girls together, um, which is you know, you can see. Look at Trinity in the middle, right? Like, come on. Um, and so, I love, love, love my girls. I love my family. Um, being a dad is amazing. Like, I love it, right? Like, I love watching them grow up. I love watching them run around. I love uh, the three-year-olds are getting some personality, and so they're, like, telling jokes that they think are funny that are not funny, but you laugh because it's not funny, and they think it's funny, you know? And so, like, all of the personality is happening. Um, I'm watching them try things for the first time. I'm watching them overcome fears for the first time. I'm watching them be able to start to understand faith and wrestle with things and ask questions about things, right? Like, being a dad is amazing, and I've had some pretty incredible moments with my girls. In fact, this week, this week, not an exaggeration, like a couple of days ago, um, my daughter, Wesley, who's our oldest, at bedtime, which bedtime is like purgatory for the parents in the room. You know that, right? Like, it's normally not good. Um, But at bedtime, my three-year-old, Wesley, she walks over to me and she goes, Daddy. I said, yeah, bubby," And she takes her hand out and she puts it on my chest. I go, what are you doing? And she goes, shh. She goes, she goes, Shh, I feel Jesus. He's in your heart. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, take me now, Lord, I right? Like, it's not gonna get better than this. She's gonna be a teenager at some point, and she'll never look at me like that again, right? And so, I love, love, love being a dad. But, um, is this a safe, is it, Ben, can I be honest here? Can, this is this a safe place? Um, as much as I love being a dad, there are moments that I wanna drop kick my kids in the throat, right? Like, I love y'all, if you touch me one more time, like, get off me, you know? Like, I love my kids. And some of y'all are judging me right now. You're like, can you say that? You thought it, so don't judge me for being vulnerable when you're unwilling to, right? Like, I love my kids, but there are moments where they just drive me up the wall. And I'm like, I am a 34-year-old grown man and a three-year-old is able to do something to my soul and spirit that I'm starting to wonder if I'm even saved anymore, right? Like, what is happening here, you know? And so over the last three years, I've had these moments, right, where like these, these, these highs with our girls, but then there's these, these lows, these moments where you're just like, oh, like I'm so frustrated, I'm so annoyed, I'm so mad. I find myself trying to negotiate with a three-year-old. And so over the last three years, I found myself asking myself in moments like, and this is, I'm dead serious now, what's wrong with me? But why do I find myself so annoyed and so frustrated and so bothered by a child who I chose to bring into this world? What's wrong with me? And the more and more that I've wrestled with that question, why do I find myself frustrated? Why do I find myself annoyed? Why do I find myself like angry at a child? The more that I wrestle with that, the more that I realize that there's this thing in me that's broken in me that needs to be redeemed by Jesus and it's this, I am incredibly selfish. That I can be incredibly selfish. That the moments that I find myself most frustrated with my kids has little to do with what they're doing and it actually has everything to do with what I want. It has to do with the reality that I wanted things to go a certain way and now they're not going that way and I'm frustrated. I had something that I was trying to accomplish and this is gonna sound terrible to say but it's just honest and they got in the way of the thing that I was trying to do and I'm frustrated. And the more and more that I wrestle with it, and the older and older and I, that I get, and the more and more kids that we have, because, Lord, we've just figured out how we keep having kids, the more and more that that keeps happening, the more that I realize how selfish I am. In fact, I remember um, when we had our third Trinity, my birthday was coming up, and my wife looked at me, and she goes, Hey, babe, what do you want for your birthday this year? And I thought about it for about three seconds, and I had the answer really quickly said, here's what I want. I would love to go into the guest room, take my computer, take some ice cream, lock the door, and not see any of y'all for the whole day. (laughs) Like, you included. I love you. That's what I want, you know? And so she booked a babysitter, and I did that for a day. And it felt awesome in the moment. And then I got to the end of the day, and I went... I don't know if you've ever thought about this. There is no parenting or marriage in heaven. You get one chance in all of eternity to be a spouse, to be a parent. How selfish of it is, uh, how selfish of it, how selfish am I, (laughs) change the language, to want to spend a day away from my kids that I will literally never get back. Now, self-care, totally. Rest, get it. I'm not shaming us for needing pockets and moments of rest or me time. I'm an introvert. I totally understand it. But I am just saying that there is something in me that's incredibly selfish, and I bet if you were honest with yourself, it's in you too. That there are moments where you're just like, I want to do what I want. I want to go my way. I want to eat what I want to eat. I want to watch what I want to watch. I don't want to be inconvenienced by anyone else. I just want to do things my way, on my schedule, on my accord, my timing, my life. That all of us have this natural tendency in us towards selfishness, this bent towards wanting to do things our way. And it makes perfectly good sense. Because look at the culture we live in. We live in a culture that says phrases like, you do you, boo-boo, right? (laughs) Whatever you want to do, you should do that, you know? You deserve, and you can fill in the blank, you deserve a vacation, you deserve a raise, you deserve a whatever. Tell you the phrase that gets under my skin more than anything else in the world. You ought to live your truth. Side note has nothing to do with the sermon, I just need to say this. Living your truth is literally the dumbest phrase in all of American history. Can I tell you what basket into every interaction, every environment, and every relationship that we walk into, we walk into our friendships. This is one of my friends, Tim, from home church. He's our youth and young adult director. He showed up this morning and I walk into my friendship with him and I'm like, hey bro, make me feel valuable. Make me feel loved today. Make me feel, s- oh, you can't do it? All right, cool, Jude, it's your, it's your turn. Make me feel love. make me feel valuable, make me feel important, make me feel... We do this with our employer. Give me value. Give me worth. Recognize me. See me. Give to me. We do this in our marriage. Make me feel loved. Make me feel beautiful. Make me feel validated. This is crazy. We even do this with our church. Oh, I hope they're singing the song that I want to hear this morning because I'm not worshiping if they're not singing that song. (laughs) Who's preaching this morning? Oh my gosh, I hope it's not that guy from home church again because he was terrible. (laughs) Don't bring him back. Man, I really hope they got the kids thing figured out this week because last week I was told that I wasn't going to be in there. My kid had to sit with me for the whole, and we show up and we're going, what can you give to me? Feed me, feed me, feed me, serve me, serve me, serve me, give me, give me, give me. And this consumeristic mentality that's pervaded our culture has now pervaded our lives. And we find ourselves going along with the flow of culture and carrying our baskets into every single environment, circumstance, and relationship that we're in. The question that that defines the moment in time that we're living in right now is this question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And if it doesn't provide value to me, if it doesn't give something to me, if it doesn't serve me, then it's not for me. What's in it for me, this has become a normal way of living in our American culture in 2023. But friends, can I just be explicitly honest with you? This is an explicitly not Christian way of living. To live like this is to live the exact opposite of the person that we worship. But this is one of the areas that I think the church has fallen asleep. This is one of the areas that we miss it. This is one of the areas that we are prone to drift. And if we don't pay attention, if we do not wake up, if we do not put ourselves on guard, we will find ourselves living the life of the culture around us and not living a life that Jesus would look at and say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. That you'll have the house, and the car, and the career, and the perfect family pictures to show that you were successful in life and Jesus would go, but you were not successful in my kingdom. And you missed it completely. Friends, Jesus calls us to, models for us, and judges us by a different way of living. And I wanna show you what that is this morning. Three things we're going to look at together. One, that he calls us to a different way of living. Two, that he models for us a different way of living. And three, that he will judge us by a different way of living. To start, let's jump over to Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 through 28. I'm going to read this quick interaction between Jesus and his disciples, and then we'll unpack it together. This is Jesus calling us to a different way of living. It says this, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, this is James and John, came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, she asked him for a favor. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Jesus responds, you you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink? He's speaking about his death, the punishment that's about to come his way, the sacrifice that he's about to endure for all of humanity. We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. You will indeed have to suffer and sacrifice for your faith. You will indeed taste the pain of death. But to sit at my right and left hand, that is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom have been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard about this, so James and John's mom comes to Jesus, asks this question, the other ten's disciples are off away, but they're in earshot. They could hear it or they heard about it either way. It says, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and he said, you know the rulers of the Gentile, and how they, uh, you, know, the, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 26, but not so with you. And said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So James and John pull a move that I used to pull in middle school. Like I wanted my friends to spend the night, and I knew that if I asked, my mom would say no, so I'd get my friends to ask so she couldn't say no to them, right? And so James and John are like, all right, we've been tracking with Jesus. We've been hanging with Jesus. We want to be significant. We want to be important. We want to be valuable. We want to be at the right and left hand of Jesus in his kingdom. But we know we can't ask Jesus for that because that just looks selfish. So instead of us asking, let's get our mom to ask. And so mama shows up and she's like, Jesus, hey. You know how my two boys have been hanging out with you for a little while? It's like, yeah, I know. I also know what you're going to ask. I'm God. So you can just like cut to the point. I was just wondering, like, could you make sure that they're significant? Could you, could you put them on your right and left hand? Could you give them power and authority in your kingdom? And Jesus goes, hey, just so you know, like, that's not up to me. That's up to God the Father. They're going to suffer. They're going to have to deal with the reality of what it means to be a follower of me. But, but, but as far as my right and left hand, as far as authority, as far as power, that's not for me to decide. God the Father is going to decide that in eternity. The two brothers are hoping to get this position of power and influence, and they're kind of shot down, but it actually gets worse than just a no because the other ten dudes hear the story. And they either hear what happened or they heard it for themselves, and now they're frustrated. They're going, really, bro? The audacity of you to ask to be at Jesus' right and left hand, and not only the audacity to ask to be at his right and left hand, to get your mama to do it, really? That's what we're doing now? And they're they're frustrated. And I imagine there's this conversation that's happening among them. Like, how dare they think? Of course, if anyone's going to be the right hand, it's going to be me. Like, I'm Peter. I'm the rock. Of course it's going to be John. Come on. Like, ain't no way, you know? And this conversation is ensuing. And Jesus steps into the conversation. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. He goes, you know how the Gentiles operate. When we see the word Gentile in the New Testament, you can translate that to culture you know how the culture operates? You know how the worldly people operate? He goes, the worldly people operate in this mindset. They work their way to the ladder to get to the top, and then they lord their authority over the people. That they work their way into a position where they are served by everyone else, and the question that they get to ask in this position of authority is, what's in it for me? How are you going to serve me? How are you going to benefit me? How are you going to give to me? How are you going to submit to my authority? And Jesus goes, yeah, that's the way the world does it. But not so with you. Now, if you're gonna be my follower, if you're gonna be one of mine, if you're gonna belong to me, then you have to understand that my kingdom is flipped upside down. And my kingdom, it's not about getting, it's about giving. In my kingdom, it's not about climbing the ladder. In my kingdom, it's actually about becoming the ladder for other people. In my kingdom, it's not about you. It's about others first. In my kingdom, it's not about status. my kingdom, you know what it's about? If you want to be great, he says, you have to be a servant. Because my kingdom is not about status. It's about service. And if you want to be great in my kingdom, it's going to require you to serve Again cheesy, I used to be a youth pastor, and I'm a visual learner. Jesus is going, hey, if you're going to follow me, you got to put that down, and you got to pick up one of these. He goes, you don't get to walk into every relationship going, what can you give me? If you're a follower of me, he goes, you walk into every relationship, and you go, how can I serve you? How can I benefit you? How can I love you the way that Jesus has loved me? How can I give to you? He goes, you don't walk into your company going, make me important, make me valuable, make me seen. You walk into your company and you go, I cannot imagine the weight of carrying this organization through the last three years of a global pandemic and what looks like a coming recession. Boss, is there any way I can serve you? What do you need? He says, if you're an employer, you know what this looks like? It doesn't look like you going, you showed up at the company and I pay you, so do your job. It looks like, hey, I know you have a job to do, but I care more about you than what you can offer me, so I'm going to sit at your desk and go, how's your family? How are you doing? Because if you're going to be my follower, it's not showing up at your church going, play the music I like and make sure that the ministry is working the way that I want it to and preach the sermons that I want to hear. It's you showing up and going, I've been uniquely gifted and wired by God with skill sets that no one else in the room has. And we're the body that works together. So I got to show up and bring my best in order for us to be our best. So I got to serve. I gotta show up and give what God has given me for the benefit of others. And Jesus is going, if you are going to be my follower, if you're gonna be one of mine, you cannot give in to the stream and the rhythms and the flow of culture that teaches you to be all about me. You have to look at every opportunity, every relationship, every environment as a place for you to serve the way that I have served you. Verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give what? His very life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus calls us to a different way of living. He says you must put down the shopping basket and you have to put on the shovel. So first he calls us to it, but second he models it for us. It says it right there in verse 28 that just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But what I want to dig into for a second is the way that the Apostle Paul takes this statement of Jesus and he breaks it down even further. Philippians 2 verses 3 through 8. These are some of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures. I come back to it often as a reminder to myself as, as to how Christ has called us to live and the example that he first set for us. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3, it says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Um, I'm kind of like a a nerd, and like every now and then I like to pull up my Blue Letter Bible and go to like the original translation and go to strong Greek translation and look at the definition and go, actually, like this is better interpreted this way. And so I took um, a few hours. It took me a really long time to figure this out. Um, When Paul says do nothing, that word nothing in the original Greek, you know what it actually means? It means nothing. Right. Paul's going, there's never an excuse for selfishness. There's never a space or an opportunity where it's okay for you to walk into a room, an environment, or a relationship with the mentality of what's in it for me. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing thinking about myself and what I can get out of it, and how it benefits me, and, and how I'm going to win in this situation. He goes, never think like that. He goes, rather, in humility. What's humility? He says it right here. Value others above yourself. You've heard the famous quote, right? Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That humility isn't self-deprecation, it's not, it's not um, a, a, lack of, uh, a lack of self-confidence. He goes, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. He's going, no, 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 humility is waking up in the morning going, life isn't about me. It's not all about me. And so, God, what do you want to do in me today? And how can I serve the people around me today? He says, "In humility, you value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others." So Paul is echoing this same this same sentiment that Jesus gives us. Jesus says, "In my kingdom, it's not about the shopping basket; it's about the shovel." And Paul says, "You know how we live out the way of Jesus?" He goes, "You don't live with the shopping basket, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. You serve the people around you. Put down the shopping basket, pick up the shovel." But then he's going to tell us why. And uh, a lot of the scholars or commentators say that this next section that Paul's about to write for us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, is actually the epicenter of the whole book of Philippians. That it is the poem on which all of the book of Philippians hangs. He says this in in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same, everyone say the word for me, what's that word right there? Okay, that was weak. Have the same as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a what? Servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, if we're going to fully understand what Paul is saying here, there's actually a phrase that we need to lift out of the text in order to understand the weight and the gravity of what he just wrote. And the phrase that I want to lift out of the text for a moment is this. He who did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying when you think about Jesus, you think about him equal to God. That as Christians, we believe in a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, one being, one spirit. We believe that Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, is God. That all things were made by him and for him and through him. That he now sits at the right hand of the Father, that he will judge the living and the dead, that he defeated sin, death, and the grave once and for all. So Paul is going, when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about God. Here's why this is such an important distinction. If you don't understand the gravity of who we're talking about, you're not going to carry the weight of what he's done. The gravity of who we are talking about elevates the weight of what he's done. The God of the universe stepped down from heaven onto the broken pages of humanity and history to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that you and I deserve, so that we might experience life and life to the full in him. Paul is going, This is the ultimate picture of service. It gets no bigger or better than this. Get this. The only one who was worthy of carrying the shopping basket picked up a shovel. What's your excuse? The only one who's worthy of going serve me, worship me, honor me, give me. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to do all of that, but then, but not because of title alone. I want you to do all of that because I've modeled for you what I'm calling you to. I've humbled myself to come to humanity and serve you. It's part of the reason we worship him. It's because God is both transcendent, meaning sits above and over all things, but he's also imminent, meaning he's close to you and I. How is he imminent? How is he close to you and I? He's imminent through incarnation. He's close to you and and me because he literally became you and me. And so we worship him because he's done for us what he's calling us to do. He picked up the shovel and got to work to deal with your sin and your shame and your guilt. And now he's looking at you and me and he's going, so go and do the same. Don't live life focused on me. Live life focused on how you can serve others the way that I have served you. And so he calls us to this life of service. He models for us this life of service. But lastly, he actually says that he will judge us by this life of service. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40 says this. When the Son of Man comes in, in his glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needed clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whenever you did for one of the least of me, or one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus says, "Hey, um, yeah, I I defeated sin, death, and the grave once and for all. I was crucified, resurrected, but don't miss this. I also ascended. I left." And I left the church with a mission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. He says, and the way that you make disciples, the way that you you lead people to know me, the way that you teach people is in the same way that I've modeled for you. The way that I showed up to you humbly and serving you. So go and do the same and lead people to know me. He says, and one day I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm gonna gather all of the people of the world together and I'm just gonna slowly begin to separate them. Hey, you go over there, you go over there. You go over there, you go over there. And then he says, I'm gonna look at the ones who are on my right and I'm gonna celebrate them and they're gonna receive their inheritance. And I'm going to look at them with pride in my eyes because of the way that they lived. And all of us would be wondering, well, what did they do that deserved such a response? And Jesus goes, oh, they saw me hungry and they fed me. They saw me thirsty and they gave me something to drink. They saw me in jail and they, they visited me. They saw me sick and they cared for me. He goes, you know what they did that made them different from them? that Served. They served the people around them well. They loved people the way that I have loved them. And because they've done that, they have shown to me that they really belong to me. Hear me. Your service does not save you, but your service shows that you've been saved. And Jesus is going, hey, your works are never going to be enough to get you to heaven. But the fact that heaven lives in you is demonstrated by the way you see, serve, and love other people. I'm just going to get in your business for a little bit. It's fine because they are probably not going to invite me back, so that's okay. So let me just say what needs to be said. Some of you have delegated your service to checking off a box on a vote. And I just want to let you know when you get to heaven, Jesus isn't going to look at your voting history. He's not. Vote your conscience for sure. Does it matter for you to be involved in in our political landscape? Definitely. All I'm telling you is that if you care more about the issue than the people who are affected by the issue, there's an issue with you. And Jesus is going, you can check all the boxes you want, but if you don't love, serve, and care for people the way that I love, served, and cared for you on judgment day, you're not gonna be happy with the outcome. So Jesus goes, come on y'all. I've called you to a different standard of living. You know how the rest of the world does it, we're not them. So don't give in to the culture, don't buy into the rhythms of consumerism. Put down the shopping basket and pick up the shovel. I've called you to something different. And he goes, not only did I call you to it, I actually modeled it for you. If I could do it, if I would step down from heaven down to the planet earth to do this for you, what excuse do you have to not do it for others? And he goes, and not only have I called you to it and modeled it for you, I am now telling you when I get back, this is my expectation of you. That your life ought to be marked by service. I was talking to a pastor buddy of mine who was um, in the UK about a month ago. And he was hanging out with a group of pastors in the UK and they were sitting down for a meal and kind of discussing the state of the church there. And there was a pastor from Ireland who was sitting at the table. And he began to explain what the church was like in Ireland at the moment. He said about 1% of the population was still Christian. 99% of the population was in a post-Christian context. And he goes, the governmental effects on that is that the church doesn't receive the same benefits here that you guys get in the U.S., And so he says to my pastor friend, he goes, hey, I'm just telling you, like, all signs are pointing to 15 to 20 years from now, your culture is moving in the same direction as ours, and I'm just telling you, do whatever it takes to keep it from happening. Don't let it get there. See, I don't don't know if you realize this, um, just a little, like, church business behind the scenes here for you, that when you actually register an organization or business as a church in the United States, it's actually automatically considered a 501c3. That tax qualification says that that organization is considered a charity in its community. The reason that this is the case is because once upon a time there was an understanding that if the church was in the community, that that community was going to be better for it that people were going to be served, that the least of these were going to be cared for. And so what the government decided is, we ought to make it as easy as possible for churches to be in our community. Let's remove the barrier. Don't make them pay property tax. Don't make them pay sales tax. Let's make it as easy as possible for the church to be in the community because we know the church will deal with the issues that we don't want to deal with. Once upon a time, that was the case. But something's happened over the years where we've begun to care more about the carpet and the building and the paint on the walls than the people in our community. And what's happened in other places in the world is they've gone, oh, you're just gonna focus on yourself and you're gonna be a holy huddle and you're gonna worry about your worship music and your songs and your environments and your buildings and your playgrounds and your program. You're gonna focus on all of that? Cool, we're taking the funding away because you are not doing what you were designed to do. It is a shame that our culture has a better understanding of what the church is supposed to be than the Christians who are in it. This is who we're supposed to be. And if we're not careful, we will fall asleep, move in with the flow and the rhythms of culture, and we will lose ourselves in the process. And so y'all, we gotta wake up. Well, we have to get this right, because Jesus called us to modeled and will judge us by a life of service so if that 's the case, the question that we have to answer this morning is really simple: How do we move from the shopping basket to the shovel? like do we all need to sign up for a mission trip today and go to Guatemala and change the world? Do we all need to change our weekend plans next week and and go to a soup kitchen? Do we need to sell our lake house and give all of the money to the church? Ben wouldn't be too mad about that. Um, I wouldn't either. I'll give you our website after the service. Just kidding. I'll take the lake house, <laughs> I'll take the lake house. i love it. Do we, not, do we need to now look for moments to be more intentional with service? Well, yes, but no. The goal of today and the call of our savior is not for you to begin to look for moments to serve. Those are good, they're great. But Jesus isn't calling you to moments of service. What he's calling you to is to take on the mindset of a servant. Because you'll look for a moment and you'll check a box. But if you take on the mindset, you start seeing every opportunity, every person as an opportunity to serve. You know how you know you have on the mindset of a service servant? You get on the phone with a Comcast representative and you're nice to them. (laughs) That's how you know your mindset has changed because you're no longer seeing this customer service rep as someone who's supposed to serve you, but you're seeing this interaction where they messed up your bill or they turned something off that they weren't supposed to turn off or something went wrong. You're seeing this now as an opportunity to go, oh, God has divinely placed me in this conversation to serve them. It's an opportunity. And so Jesus isn't calling us to just look for a moment to serve. He's calling us to a mindset of service. So how do we move to a mindset of being a servant? The answer to this is actually going to surprise you because it surprised me as I dug into the text and as I wrestled with this. I think the answer to moving from the shopping basket to the shovel is this. It's identity. That the way that we move from here to here is not trying harder, it's not signing up for more projects, it's not filling up our schedule, it's actually understanding our identity. Dr. Tony Evans, in relations to this passage, says this. He says, so how can we adopt Christ's mindset? Well, Jesus could serve because he knew he was God. Service was never a threat to him because he never lost sight of who he was. He was never insecure in his identity. He knew his position with the Father. And so similarly, when you know who you are, a saint and a son or a daughter of God, rendering service, picking up the shovel will not be a problem for you. It's when you don't know who you are that service becomes a problem. It's when you're unsure of your identity that you'll fear that serving is beneath you and that you will somehow be taken advantage of if you serve. And so Christian in the room, The way that we move from here to here is not by signing up for a moment. The way that we move from here to here is by taking on the mindset of Christ. And the way that we take on the mindset of Christ, it's by understanding who we are in him. It's by understanding what he's done for us and who we get to be as a result. And so I figured I'd just end our time together by telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, this is who the scripture says you are. says you are born again. You are a saint. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a disciple. You have been protected by the power of his name. You have been set free by the truth. You are eternally secure in Christ. You have been kept from the evil one. You are one with God and with Jesus the Son. You are God's gift to Christ. You have peace with God. You have been justified by faith. You have access to the sphere of God's grace. You can rejoice in trouble. The love of God has been poured into your heart, that Jesus would touch your heart and go, I feel me. I'm there. You've been reconciled to God. You have been raised to walk in the newness of life. You have been united with Christ through his death and his resurrection. Your old self has been crucified with Christ. You are no longer under the law but under grace. You have eternal life in Christ Jesus. You have been freed from the power of sin. You are free from condemnation. You are a servant of God. You are led by the spirit of God. You are joint heirs with Christ. You can be confident that all things will work together for your good. You have been conformed into the image of Jesus. You have been given all things. You are inseparable from the love of God. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. You are God's temple. You are washed, sanctified, and justified by the blood of the Lamb. You have been bought with a purchase. You are triumphant in Christ. You are an ambassador of Jesus. You are strong even when you are weak. You are redeemed. You are filled with the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. You have been blessed with every spiritual gift. You are a new creation in Christ. Can I just say that again? You are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, and the new has come. You are made alive in Him. You are saved by grace. You are God's handiwork, which Christ created Which. Christ was created in Christ Jesus for good works. You have access to Jesus and to the Father. You can walk boldly into Christ's presence. You have been renewed in the spirit of your mind. The old man is off. You were once in the darkness but now you walk in the light of the Lord. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You are a citizen of heaven so you live by heaven rules not by worldly rules. You can rejoice in the Lord always. You are a child of God. That is who you are and some and daughter when you hold on to that reality when you understand that truth it is way easier to pick this thing up and go oh God's done some things in me so I got some things to offer God's done some things in me so I got some things to bring to the table God's done some things in me so I have a mission for our community God's done some things in me so I can serve my wife I can serve my husband I can serve my family I can serve my church God's done some things in me so I have something to give The way we move from here to here is we begin to identify with Christ we take on his identity we hold on to his mindset and we make a decision that we will not live by the ways of this world we will not fall asleep we will wake up and be his church in the world this is the invitation that God has offered you today you've been called to a different way of living He's modeled it for you. He will judge you by it. So now it's up to you to live it. Let to take just a couple of minutes to give us an opportunity to respond to this truth. And I want to kind of give three spaces for invitation here. The first is for some of you there's a decision to be made today because the reality is you cannot serve like Jesus until you accept the fact that Jesus has served you. And the call on your life cannot be carried out apart from his spirit living in you. And so maybe for some of you, the light bulb went off today that you realize, oh my gosh, God left heaven to come down to the pages of history to die the death that I deserve because of my sin. So I need to accept his free sacrifice for me today so that I can start living on mission. And so for some of you, maybe the invitation today is to decide to actually place your faith in the one who modeled a life of service for you. The second invitation is an invitation towards repentance. That maybe there's an area of your life that you realize I have been incredibly selfish. Maybe there's some places that you've given in to the rhythms of culture. And that word repentance, the word metanoia in the Greek, it means to turn, to change your mind. And so maybe today is the day that you come to the altar and you say, God, I'm changing my mind. I'm repenting from the way that I used to see business. I'm repenting for the way that I used to see my family. I'm repenting for the way that I've treated my kids. I'm repenting for being so focused on me. I am now choosing to lay down the shopping basket and pick up the shovel. The last invitation is an invitation to reflect because I've been in church for long enough to know that there's someone in the room who's going, yeah, 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 that was a good message for them. But I'm good. And I just wanna encourage you to do what the psalmist says. Say, search me, oh God. And see if there's any offensive way in me. Because there may be a place that your heart's been bent towards selfishness that's been so normal for you, you don't even see it anymore. And you need God to show it to you now. So decide, repent, Let's take a few moments to let the Holy Spirit speak to us to tell us what to do with this word, and then we'll worship together to close out our time.